nice to be here. Thank you all for coming. I know you you could just as well have been at home watching uh, the Republican candidate for president on C-SPAN tonight. <laughs> they're having they're having <laughs> they're having a meeting at the at the Reagan Library tonight. So. But you chose wisely, I think. <laughs> now, I couldn't uh, remember what talk I have given here. So, uh, I decided to go with another urge, which, which was to share with you some uh, things that have come across my desk, my mind in recent months that... Uh, that have had a profound impact or delighted me. And they all, of course, have to do with life and death, which is what the Dharma is all about. Uh, I'll, I'll begin with uh, a poem, not a poem exactly, it's prose, but it's uh, from the late, great Kurt Vonnegut from Slaughterhouse-Five. No, I'm sorry, from Cat's Cradle, not from Slaughterhouse-Five. God made mud. And by the way, this is a, this is a way of arousing gratitude and appreciation, which is a traditional thing to do at, at Buddhist gatherings, you know. So, fits right in. God made mud. Then God got lonesome. So God said to some of the mud, sit up. <laughs> See all I've made, said God, the hills, the sea, the sky, the stars. And I was some of the mud that got to sit up and look around. Lucky me, lucky mud. I, mud, sat up and saw what a nice job God had done. Nice going, God. Nobody but you could have done it, God. I certainly couldn't have. I feel very unimportant compared to you. The only way I can feel the least bit important is to think of all the mud that didn't even get to sit up and look around. I got so much, and most mud got so little. And what interesting other kinds of sitting up mud I met. I loved everything I saw. I will go to heaven now to find out for certain what my wampeter was and who was in my carass and all those things that Kurt Vonnegut writes about. Yes. This was... <laughs> we talk a lot about impermanence in Buddhism, you know, uh, the Buddha said, uh, those who live closely, it is the nature of all things to arise and pass away. Um, happy are those who can live intimately and closely with that truth. So, uh, I read this thing in, uh, uh, I think in Discover Magazine, one of the science magazines, how they measure time in the subatomic world. Time in the subatomic world is measured in 
attoseconds, that's a millionth of a trillionth of a second, or zeptoseconds, starts to sound like the Marx Brothers in here after a while. <laughs> zeptosecond is a billionth of a trillionth of a second, or a yoctosecond, which is a trillionth of a trillionth of a second. It takes a quark between a zepto and a yoctosecond to circle inside a proton. And uh, the time it takes for an electron to orbit a proton is almost an attosecond. So, uh, everything is in motion. Real, going real fast. Oh, and this, uh, I finally got confirmation of this thing that, uh, this statistic that I had wondered about. Because I read that we, you know, we have 50 to 100 trillion cells and that inside each of our cells is two yards of DNA. And that if you stretch your DNA out, end to end, it would go around the Earth millions of times. Well, I got confirmation. I, I mean, it, it's hard to believe that, right? But I got confirmation. We have 126 billion miles of DNA inside of our body. Now, that can't be right. It's because the DNA is the thinnest mo uh, molecule, the thinnest, um, yeah, the thinnest molecule known. It's just a couple atoms wide. And it's wrapped all around itself inside of each of your cells, two yards of it. <laughs> Containing all the lessons that life has ever learned. Okay, it's springtime. We want to pay homage to the spring. It was full moon last night. Uh, Buddha's birthday, really, yesterday. Full moon in May. Taurus. Um, anyway, Berkeley is full of flowers. Wonderful, beautiful sight everywhere. But the evolutionary scientists say that the reason we love flowers and consider them so beautiful is because they signal it's growing season and there's food around. That's basically why we love flowers. And on top of that, we developed color vision because then we could pick out the colorful fruits that were good to eat in, the, in all that massive green. That that was the main reason that we developed color vision. Just thought I'd put the kibash on all your romantic notions of, <laughs> of flowers. You know, the Buddha was not a romantic. The Buddha really, really uh, was not sentimental about life and wanted to desentimentalize it. Okay, um, so it's spring and life is, is exploding and uh, 
I took a vow last year, almost two years ago now, uh, that every time I spoke in public, I would speak about endangered species. And then I ran into this, uh, this poem written by Joanna Macy called Bestiary. I think it must have been written 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And uh, again, it, it moved me, and I thought I would share it with you. And in case you uh, are not aware of it, we are living through the fifth largest species die-off in biological history. They, they call it an extinction spasm, the biologists. Short-tailed albatross, whooping crane, gray wolf, peregrine falcon, hawksbill turtle, jaguar, Rhinoceros. In Geneva, the international tally of endangered species kept up to date in loose leaf volumes is becoming too heavy to lift. Where do we now record the passing of life? What funerals or farewells are appropriate? Reed warbler, swallowtail butterfly, Manx shearwater, Indian python, howler monkey, sperm whale. Blue whale. Dive me deep, brother whale, in this time we have left. Deep in our mother ocean where I once swam, gilled and finned. The salt from those early seas still runs in my tears. Tears are too meager now. Give me a song. A song for a sadness too vast for my heart. For a rage too wild for my throat. Anteater. Antelope, grizzly bear, brown bear, Bactrian camel, Nile crocodile, American alligator. Ooze me, alligator, in the mud whence I came. Belly me slow in the rich primordial soup, cradle of our molecules. Let me wallow again before we drain your swamp. Gray bat, ocelot, marsh mouse, blue pike, red kangaroo, Aleutian goose, Odwin seagull. Quick, lift off. Sweep me high over the coast and out, farther out. Don't land here. Oil spills coat the beach, rocks, sea. I cannot spread my wings glued with tar. Fly me from what we have done. Fly me far. Golden parakeet, African ostrich, Florida panther, Galapagos penguin, imperial pheasant, leopard, Utah prairie dog. Hide me in the hedgerow, badger. Can't you find one? Dig me a tunnel through leaf mold and roots under the trees that once defined our fields. My heart is bulldozed and plowed over. Burrow me a labyrinth deeper than longing. Thick-billed parrot, zone-tailed pigeon, desert bandicoot, southern bald eagle, California condor, lotus blue butterfly. Crawl me out of here, caterpillar. Spin me a cocoon. Wind me to sleep in a shroud of silk where in patience my bones will dissolve. I'll wait as long as all creation. If only it will come again and I take wing. Atlantic Ridley turtle, pearly mussel, helmeted hornbill, sea otter, humpback whale, monk seal, harp seal, African elephant. Sway me slowly through the jungle. There still must be jungle somewhere. My heart drips with green secrets. 
Hose me down by the water hole. Tell me old stories while you can remember. Fan-tailed flycatcher, flap-shell tortoise, crested ibis, hook-billed kite, bobcat, frigate bird. In the time when his world like ours was ending, Noah had a list of the animals too. We picture him standing by the gangplank calling their names, checking them off on his scroll. Now we are also checking them off. Ivory-billed woodpecker, brown pelican, Florida manatee, Canada goose. We reenact Noah's ancient drama, but in reverse, like a film running backwards, the animals exiting. Ferret, curlew, cougar, wolf. Your tracks are growing fainter. Wait, this is a hard time. Don't leave us alone in this world. Pretty impassioned cry. There's so little spoken about it in our daily newspapers. We're so involved with our petty wars, our economic struggles. We need to, as, as uh, Jefferson, Robinson Jeffers said, we need to unhumanize our views. Not dehumanize them, unhumanize them. We have to include ourselves in the wider world as human beings if we're going to survive. All right, so I'll lighten up the mood here. I did a radio show a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to read it to you. And it's uh, an Earth Day. It was an Earth Day radio show, and this is part of what I see as an approach to this cry. Yo, all you humans out there, and if you can understand what I'm saying, that's probably what you are. It's Earth Day once again, time to celebrate the home planet. And this year, as never before, the Earth is calling for your attention and your rituals and prayers and, of course, your activism. Earth Day. I'm talking about your mama here. The one who gave you life and who carries you across the skies. And I'm sorry to announce that she's not feeling so well these days. She's experiencing severe fevers and chills and her circulatory system is full of poisons and many of her children are now becoming extinct at 1,000 times the normal rate. And to a major degree, this devastation is due to the act activities of the spe species Homo Glutonus, we have discovered a problem, humans, and it is us. What can we do? What can be done? Well, one thing is certain. There are just too many of us. Some of you will have to go. I recently saw a bumper sticker that read, Six billion people can't be right. 
It's also clear that you and I and all of us living here, all of us living here in the overdeveloped world are going to have to cut back our consumption. I suggest that we all work with a mantra. Enough. Enough. We've got enough stuff. Enough. Or for the younger generation, we quit. We quit. We've got enough stuff. But underlying all of our environmental problems is a case of mistaken identity, a defective belief system, and outdated mythology. Haven't we lived long enough believing that our true self is somehow disconnected from this body or somehow separate from matter or from this planet? I personally haven't seen any of these so-called souls that people talk about, at least not since James Brown died. (laughs) Our major religions have come to believe and tell us that we are just visiting the earth as if it's some kind of training planet where you come to learn some lessons or burn off some karma or get saved by some messiah or another. And the hope is that once we're done on this funky old sphere, our true self will go off to a better place where it truly belongs and live happily ever after if we're good. But those beliefs are now dysfunctional because they take the divine away from the earth and rob life itself of the reverence it is due. The time has come for an upgrade of our metaphysics. Besides, there's no longer any doubt that the scientific story of evolution is true, at least among people who have a large forebrain. So let's embrace evolution as our new creation myth. You can start by feeling yourself in a body and realizing that it is composed of all natural earth ingredients. Your bones are made of calcium phosphate and silicates, the actual clay of earth molded into your shape. Where else could this body have come from? The fluids in your in your body are similar to those of the oceans. You literally sweat and cry seawater. So, my friends, you are certified organic. In fact, we humans are essentially earth sprouts that gained a lot of mobility. Our primary identity is that of earthlings. And we're built out of all the life that came before us. Scientists have discovered that we don't even have a brain. We have three brains reptilian, mammalian, and the new human brain. And research indicates we mainly use our new human brain just to make excuses for the behavior generated by our other two brains. (laughs) The lizard and the wolf still live inside of us. Now we know that we're related to everything that ever lived through the miracle molecule of DNA, which carries the information for every form of life on this planet. And we share 90% of our DNA with mice. And nearly 70% of our DNA is shared with worms. And nearly 50% of our DNA is shared with yeast. Yeast. (laughs) So if we declare ourselves divine, is not the slime also divine? And if not, where do we draw the line? Does the snail get a soul? What about the mushroom? 
The point is that the story of evolution does not have to deny our divinity as humans. But it just might deny our exclusive divinity. While we're on the subject, let's give the DNA a spiritual spin. Instead of thinking deoxyribonucleic acid, which is such a cold clinical term, from now on, whenever you see or hear the letters DNA, think divine, natural abundance. Because what the earth is asking of us now is a shift of consciousness so that we embrace our identity as part of earth life and come to know ourselves as members of a particular species, as humans, as animals, as even as vertebrates. Come on, say it loud. I'm a vertebrate and I'm proud. <laughs> and of course, one way to begin your shift of consciousness is to celebrate Earth Day, a holiday that should be weekly, monthly at least, a holiday that is meant for all of us, regardless of kingdom, genus, phyla, nationality, religion, or color of skin, fur, feathers, scales, leaves, or bark. Because Earth Day is everybody's Mother's Day. And the Earth is the goddess, Gaia, Pachamama. The Earth is the Milky Way's little biosphere project. Everybody's hood. To celebrate Earth Day, you might also want to go picket in front of the oil company of your choice or go out into the ocean and take a swim in the primal amniotic fluid. And while you're out there, maybe chain yourself to an endangered coral reef or play some soothing music for the fish who must be very confused due to, due to the changing temperature of the oceans. And yes, you might want to do everything you can to get rid of this nasty invasive species of bushes. <laughs> In Latin, it's bushistus tehexus. <laughs> and it's the worst thing that's happened to life on Earth since the last ice age. <laughs> At least take a vow on this Earth Day, humans, that you will do something more to protect your mother. And at some point in your celebration, take off your shoes and dance on the earth, touching your mother skin to skin or just lay down flat, face down. Ignore your inner cynic and give, inner cynic and give your mama a great big hug. As always, she will welcome you home. So maybe I'll take a break here and, and uh, open it up for some uh, discussion or comment or questions, if you have any. Let your voice chime in. Oh, yes. Thank you. Yeah. You can belt it out. No, okay. Oh, really? Uh-oh. <laughs> okay. Oh, I just, I just had a thought. When you mentioned the DNA, how impossible that there's so many miles of it. Do you remember those fairy tales where the princess has to weave something completely impossible that fits like a huge garment or cloth that fits through a little ring? 
Uh-huh. It's just like that. Uh-huh. And it turns to really silk, and it's so fine that it fits through this tiny ring, like there's yards and yards of it. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. That reminds me of this great uh, myth uh, about the old lady, you know, who's in the cave, and she's, she's weaving this fantastic rug, and she's got a dog with her, and every, uh, every hundred years or so, she has to go over and stir the pot, and when she goes over to stir the pot, the, the dog comes and unravels everything she's done, and, and uh, then she comes back and has to start over again, she has to, and she is the re- weaver of the world, actually, she wor- keeps weaving the world over and over again. Thank you. Hold on. Wait, you're going to speak on. I feel so official with a mic. I was just going to offer up when I when I reflect on uh, these matters of our ecological well-being. Uh, one uh, one author that uh, meant a lot to me was uh, is Rachel Carlson. And she, of course, is remembered for Silent Spring, but she wrote these three or four books that were really just remarkable books about uh, the sea and uh, the estuary and a number of other kind of ecological settings around the sea and the land interface. And they're just really, really wonderful books, wonderful writing. And she was really quite a, a, a writer and a scientist. Of course, everyone, there was a, a sense that she was a housewife and someone who's actually a very accomplished scientist. Uh-huh. Um, so anyway, just share that perspective of a wonderful writer who was thinking about these things 40, 50 years ago. Thank you for raising her name. Let me just say uh, one, one quick thing here. Uh, I really believe that we need a new, uh, an upgrade of our metaphysics and that, you know, underlying all of our problems uh, is is a we need a shift of consciousness. We need a, a different understanding, a spiritual different spiritual understanding of who we are in the scheme of things. And I found that meditation practice and Dharma actually organically grows a different sense of who you are. You really get into your body. You really begin to feel yourself as an earthling. You begin to feel yourself as an animal. You you, you begin to understand that your mind is, you know, is, is a product of millions of years of the shaping of the brain and that it's not, uh, it's not your fault. <laughs> but <laughs> that this understanding grows through Dharma practice. And in fact, uh, and, and what I read you is, is part of a book I'm working on uh, called The Evolution Sutra, where I... I talk about evolutionary science and dharma as being complementary, supporting each other. The Buddha said, this body is not mine or anyone else's. It has arisen due to past causes and conditions. For now it should be felt. That's one of the things he says that's so profoundly uh, Darwinian if you will. Well, I think you just answered my question or my request, but um, what I was, I woke up at five this morning and was starting an essay on sufficiency or insufficiency. 
So this idea of um, materialism versus some sort of grounding in the body or and I, maybe so and, and I was going to ask you what your experience how, how practice led to a greater sense of sufficiency so that we didn't need to you know proliferate all this uh-huh. material stuff and you started to address that but maybe also some more anecdotes about stories of people who you know how that w- works for people um, that you might be able to pull out of the ether because I have this sense, you know, that here am I, 62 years old, and was raised, you know, we were all supposed to become president, and then we had these sort of 60s ideals of, you know, the material world didn't matter, and now our kids are, you know, my daughter's a MD-PhD, <laughs> so, um, the, and, and trying to, you know, make a huge difference in, in the world, but, you know, it just keeps proliferating a, a, mm. a quest for, you know, more, she has a four-year-old, so she has to buy him all the stuff that she can't provide him because she's, you know, at the hospital most of the time. And, you know, she has to buy herself lots of shoes because she works so hard watching all these people die and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm sort of curious how Buddhism um, allows us to get grounded in ourselves. And Anyway, comments on that. So 
Yeah, it really, it really does. It comes at this ecological crisis from that direction too. Lots of, lots of different ways. I, I had the romanticism thing that you're saying. <laughs> Doesn't want to mention that. I just, um, I feel like true romance is actually appreciation and gratitude for someone seeing them as they really are, which is a part of, a, you know, I mean, I think, I don't think romanticism, I, I don't know if I believe that Buddha was anti-romanticism. I think maybe it's got some sort of weird spin on it in our society. But I'm, I think the part of the problem is that we don't love ourselves as we are. And maybe, I, oh, what was that? Uh, Oscar Wilde said, the, uh, the, the longest or the greatest love affair you'll ever have is with yourself. You know, and that's part of slowing down and, and seeing that mystery. I stump it. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I think that I've come to sort of love the, the human. It's not so much me as an individual, but me as a human. I, I really like that. This brings me to uh, another little piece I'd like to share with you. Oh, were you, did you have a question? Let's get into what we were talking about. Okay. Hi, Scoop. Oh, you're West. Sorry. <laughs> Old habits die hard. This talk is so magical, and this this place that that our mud is in is just so every day. Well, I happen to be a scientist, and I I, I get um, suffused with this all the time. Every day, there's one. If there's not three miracles a day, it's a bad day. So, <laughs> I just wanted to tell you one of them. Um, why are there colors? Because there are animals with eyes. There's no reason to have color in the caves that are shut off from everything else but the dripping water. All the animals are translucent or white. And then related to that, if you go into the deep, deep sea, it's completely dark. And uh, it sort of relates to the color thing. And I, I heard this from a scientist, and it's most incredible. And if it, if he, if it wasn't for his rank, I wouldn't believe it at all. But when it's so deep and so dark... They need vision so much that uh, 90% of them um, emit light out of their eyes. <laughs> so do you. I can see. <laughs>
Okay. And uh, the keyboard, I don't know, I shot the keyboard and it was close <laughs> to me then. <laughs> and uh, a year or two ago, I went to uh, Beastful Bookstore in college and it was closed. <laughs> and they gave, and they had this sign posted on the door, which I just, uh, it moved me. It's, it's a kind of a manifesto by various writers. Let's drink a toast to all those farmers, workers, artists, and intellectuals in the last 100 years who, without thought of fame or profit, not motivated by a thirst for power, whose motivations were compassionate and humanitarian, worked tirelessly in their dreams of a worldwide socialist revolution, who believed and hoped that a new world was dawning and that their work would contribute to a society in which one class does not exploit another, where one ethnic group or one nation does not try to expand itself over another, and where men and women live freely as equals. The people who nourished these hopes and dreams were sometimes foolishly blind to the opportunism of their own leadership, and many were led into ideological absurdities. But the great majority of them selflessly worked for socialism with the best of hearts. What we have now is nervous, third world fundamentalism, and developed world global greed. The failure of socialism is the tragedy of the 20th century. And on this day, May Day at least, we should honor the memory of those who struggled for the dream of what socialism might have been and begin a new way.
It should be added that even though you're consciously, you consciously agree to these four supports, the agro, orange tree, vegetable tree, or the medicine, as your standard, if something better comes along, that's fine. In the ordination ceremony, you state that too. You're allowed to wear cotton robes, wool robes, or even silk robes, but if all that is available is rags, that's what you agree to wear. And uh, he also said, proceed in the widespread of the garment, the Buddha also laid down rules adaptable to different times in history and different cultures. He said, you must be guided by the lifestyle of average householders who are supporters of your monastery. So it's kind of uh, communal After learning that my flight was detained four hours, I heard the announcement. If anyone in the vicinity of gate 4A understands any Arabic, please come to the gate immediately. Well, one pauses these days. <laughs> but gate 4A was my own gate. I went there. An older woman in full traditional Palestinian dress, just like my grandmother wore, was crumpled to the floor, wailing loud.
sketch pen, by now we were holding hands, had a potted plant poking out of her bag, some medicinal thing, with green furry leaves, such an old country traveling tradition, always carry a plant, always stay rooted somewhere. <laughs> and then I looked around that gate of late and weary ones and thought, this is the world I want to live in, this gray world, not a single person in this gate, once the crying of confusion stops, has seemed apprehensive about any other person. There was such a pity. I wanted to hug all those other women too. This can still happen anyway. Not everything is love. Always want to end on that note, you know, don't. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.